Hi, I'm Colleen McNamara, and you're listening to my dad on All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. My next guest is, uh, <clears throat> I don't know why I haven't on, had him on in a while. It's been a few months, but uh, he's a favorite. Mikey Tor has been on the program many times. He's a virtual legend in the Marine Corps. He's a book writer now and a celebrity. So uh, from Fidelis Leadership Group, Michael Etor from, uh, from um, the home of the handrail. Uh, what the fuck is the name of that place? Where you're from? Lithia, Florida. <laughs> no, that's where you live. Picatinny, uh, Picatinny Arsenal. Oh, Picatinny Arsenal is where my dad worked. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. So, uh, but Mike, first of all, uh, welcome back. Thanks for doing this. Well, thank you, Mac, for uh, for having me. I got to tell you that that intro song you played, I was. I was kind of rocking out here, you know, That's moving sick. my head yeah. side to side, you know, threatening to break this chair I'm in. You too with B.B. King, When Love Comes to Town. It's a great song. Is B. that who it was? Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Wow. I mean, I, that thing started playing. I couldn't help but moving, you know. Yeah, you hear B.B. King's influence on that song. It's fucking great. Fucking yeah. Great. Well, I'm glad I had a positive effect on you already. Um, yes. What, um, uh, first of all, you know, I've I've joked with you in the past about your your high st- testosterone count, but that's uh, it's not that's not a joke, according to you. Yes, no, no, not a joke at all. Um, I've been blessed uh, by genetics. Uh, a few years ago, you know, I go to a, an executive physical every year. It's a very in-depth physical. Um, been going to this guy for about sixteen years now. And so he's got a lot of data on me. And it's pretty much an all-day event. I mean, they put you through the ringer, all sorts of tests, cognitive tests, treadmill tests. Uh, they take 10 vials of blood from you uh, two weeks prior to, to do all these tests that aren't in cutting-edge medicine yet. Or, or they, they're cutting-edge tests, but they're not in mainstream medicine yet. Insurance won't pay for them. And uh, you know, I was getting carotid artery scans about 10 years before they hit the mainstream market. So it's, you get what you pay for, and it's, it's, it's not cheap, but I, I love this kind of stuff. I want to optimize my body, and I've got a goal of living to be 120. Um, I figure right about the time I'm 95, Mac, I'm going to enter and, and be able to win bodybuilding contests, mostly due to the lack of competition. You know, So it's, well, you a, know. it's a long-term strategy. I'm playing the long-term <laughs> game here, you know? I had a friend tell me. So um, I had a friend tell me. Mike, so a few that, years. Ago. I had a friend tell Go me, ahead. Mike, that that uh, he used to. In fact, his dad was an F four pilot in Vietnam. Uh, his father went to the Naval Academy. He's my roommate in college. Uh, he's a football player, a pretty good one. And uh, but he used to he used to get in fights on a not infrequent basis. And so one day he and I were talking. I said, "So what's the secret to being a good fighter?" And he looks at me, and goes, "You want another truth?" I said, "Yeah." He said, opponent selection. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, what? He said, opponent, never fight a guy who looks like he could kick your ass. That's the most important thing about being a good fighter. 
And I, he had me laughing, but you know, you, you reminded me of that saying that, you know, the competition at 95 and bodybuilding, um, that will, it'll be pretty scarce. And a guy with such a a robust, right. Testosterone count gotta be, gotta win that. I would think. Yeah. You know, about three years ago. So I'm sitting in my physical and the doctor is looking at my, you know, my results, test results. And he said, and he, he looked up at me and I only see this guy once a year. So this might have been the 13th time I've been with him. And he says, am, am I giving you testosterone shots? And I, it caught me completely off guard. And I said, what? He goes, am I, am I giving you supplements, testosterone supplements? And, and I said, no. I was, you know, I was kind of offended, you know, like being accused of taking steroids, you know? I'm like, no. And I said, why? He goes, your, uh, your testosterone score is really abnormally high. Uh, very, very high. And I'm like, well, is that, is that bad? He goes, no, no, it's, it's a great thing. I said, well, give me some context. How high is it? He said, your testosterone scores are, are great, if not higher than a lot of college athletes, male college athletes. He said, um, I don't know whether it's genetics, Mike, or the fact that you have engaged in really intense weight training for you know most of your life or a combination. He said, whatever you do, don't stop. And so I'm like, yeah, okay, well, that explains that. And I always figured it was the Roman heritage. You know, I'm a, I'm a T-Rex meat eater and all that. So I claim that they don't have these contests, Mac, but I claim that if they did, I would be, I would be a world-class age group competitor in testosterone scores. That's what I say, you know. That's, and the only guys that can compete you know with what? me really. Or, and one know, would guys. think one would think that he paid me to tee this shit up for him too, but uh, he didn't. In fact, he's given me nothing to tee that shit up. But it's true. But you know, we all know that, that you know that that weightlifting, right? In particular, you know, <clears throat> the heavier weight you lift, right, the more testosterone your body generates, right? Yeah. And so, what kind of you know? Are you still? I mean, a lot of guys as they get older, Mike, and you, where you and I are in our sixties. Are you in your sixties? I'm 64. Yeah, I'm 63. Um, but I'm a young 63, just so you know. Um, I'm not like an older 63 pushing 64. I'm 63, just turned 63. So anyway, um, and when you get older, you have to you have to get the exacto knife out and parse that thing. But um, a lot of guys have <laughs> joint damage, right? A lot of guys have back problems. A lot of guys, are you still able to to work out? Um, you know, with with heavy weights. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, yes, with some caveats. I, I do have a fairly battered body. I, I wrestled all the way from the co- third grade all the way through college at the Division One level. That was the good news. The bad news was I was I was at Division One, and I really didn't have Division One skill or or talent or size. Um, I couldn't make 190 pounds when I was in college. It was just too far away from me. So I wrestled heavyweight. And I was often, you know, 70 to 100 or more pounds lighter than the guys that I was wrestling. And I could beat some of them just with really good conditioning. But boy, what a toll it took my body. So four knee operations, my neck is, you know, not good. And so, I mean, you wouldn't know it to look at me. So I work around those. Like anyone else that spent a career in the infantry and all that, you're not unaffected. You just find things to work around it. And I find if I... If I don't work out, 
that's when I feel bad. Uh, my joints, the muscles around the joints get weak and I start aching. So I really have not taken a break uh, since I was about 18 years old. So I am still, to answer your question, I am still, ex- I would say exceptionally strong. I'm probably stronger than than most men decades younger than me. Now, what I'm not is I don't have that flexible explosive power anymore and there are certain exercises i just got no business doing you know i i don't do i do body weight squats now i don't do squats with weight um i don't do deadlifts because i have a herniated disc in my back so i work around it. other than that though um i do i have yeah as you know i got a really good weight set up in my home and i do perfect form um, you know, good repetitions and I, I get back there and get after it and my body responds well. And my body picks up muscle quickly and strength and it also loses it quicker than any other man I ever have seen. <laughs> so the key to me is don't stop, you know. So I, I love it. I really am, you know, all kidding aside about the doctor, I am I'm striving for longevity. You know, at my 60th birthday, I made my kids put, this inscription on on the frosting, it said, congratulations on reaching the halfway point. And someone said, you know, I, I think you mean it. I said, I, I absolutely mean it. Since I was in my 30s, Mac, I have said, if I can get to 70 in good shape, by that time, medical science can help me get to 90. And if I can get to 90 in good shape, all bets are off the table. Who knows what will be available then? I, you know, and so if you think about it, that's, that's 35 years from now uh, or 25 years from now, Mac. Um, who knows what's going to be available? But if you look at the past 25 years and the medical advances that have come, you know, stem cells and things like that, um, roll that forward. You know, they may say, you know, hopefully 20 years from now, they say, my bad news, uh, your heart is shot. Good news is uh, we took a skin graft and we'll, we, we're growing one. It'll be ready in three weeks. So schedule the outpatient surgery, you know. I mean, you never know. Right. And, and my doctor has told me, I told my doctor that, and he kind of chuckled. He said, well, the, you know, Mike, I'll be honest with you. There's merit to what you're saying. He said, we now do things as routine outpatient surgery that when I was in medical school 40 years ago, we couldn't even conceive of much less envision coming across the horizon. So we couldn't even conceive of some of the surgical procedures and, and medical, you know, and advancements that now you show up and they're so, they're so simple that you go home later that day. And so, you know, I'm I'm not kidding. I want to live as long as I can, as long as I have my mind and my faculties. I mean, I want to, I want to darken someone's doorway for a long time, you know? And then when I finally go, I hope to have left a lot of like 3D holograms that get delivered, you know, anonymously to my kids and all that at random times just to preach at them. They'll never be free of me back. Never, you know? You know, I was, uh, my, both my daughters and my ex-wife were at dinner last night and we were, I was talking about my tombstone and I said, oh, there's, they're going to be saying, (laughs) my youngest says, you know, Dad was on Dad's tombstone. He wants it to say, right underneath all his stuff, "Life's not for pussies," right? All the things that he constantly has told us as kids, right, as we've grown up. Um, and uh, I said, "Yeah, there's. It's going to be a big tombstone. 
Okay. There's going to be a lot of advice on there. I'm even in death. I will be giving and influencing. Okay. <laughs> I think it's, I think that's great. I mean, I'm envisioning mine containing like a flat panel, <clears throat> you know, TV screen where you can actually, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, yes. punch motion, up, punch up motion activated, right? Motion yeah. activated, right? right. There's well, a menu. There's a menu here. If you want to hear me talk about one specific topic, if not, I have this to say to you, right? I'm going to, I'm going to record my own eulogy. Okay. I mean, who better to speak at my funeral than me? Right. <laughs> That's right. This is my program, you know, McNamara funerals incorporated, putting the fun back in funerals. Right. So it's like, so obviously if you are all here today, that means I'm not okay. But I want to welcome you to my funeral and I want to, I want to single out some people that I, that are here today. Right. And then I'll say, look, and if so-and-so's here, throw his ass out right now. Right. And then I'll pause, hit play again when we're, when we're ready. (laughs) Right. And then then make it fun and make it interesting and make them laugh. And that's how you should exit the planet. Not people standing up, you know, my guitar was such a great man. Come on. Yeah. We've done that shit. Yeah. We don't need that. You know, and and, and in all sincerity, um, I really want to leave it all out there before I die. This is why I'm still in the leadership game and writing books and, you know, podcasts and getting ready to get into video, Mac. Um, Andrew Carnegie, I think I've said this before. Yeah, you have. Andrew Carnegie. Say it again. Yeah, Andrew Carnegie, uh, as we all know, was a poor kid uh, from overseas, came in and, you know, had some mentors and all that and became the richest man in the world uh, for a while. Actually bailed out the U.S. government with a huge personal loan one time so they could cover payroll and expenses. Um, and then after he made this big fortune, you know, he and other robber barons of the time decided they they couldn't compete anymore with making money. They now could compete with being charitable and philanthropic. And Andrew Carnegie personally funded hundreds of public libraries throughout the country and and some overseas as well. And he had a saying, it said, a man who dies rich dies disgraced. And I do not obviously have the riches of Andrew Carnegie. Um, Don't get me wrong, I think I look a lot better than him and can surely do more dead hang pull-ups than that guy. Um, But um, I have leadership experience and knowledge, and I've been blessed with the talent, and I've worked hard at it too, the talent of mentoring and developing leaders. And I don't want that to rot away in my brain when they finally plant my ass uh, under the grass. I want to leave it all out so that every lesson, anecdote, parable, insight that I possibly have in my mind that could benefit someone is captured in some form of media. And that's, that's what I want to do. I want to leave it out there. And who knows, you know, maybe 200 years from now, I'm not claiming that I'm going to be like a, you know, Socrates or Plato or anything, but you know, hopefully someone will stumble upon my stuff and say, you know, this guy had some pretty good insights and many of them are relevant even today. And, uh, and I hope so. I'm just trying to help people, but you can't help them if they don't know what's in your mind. And right now I can talk to them. I have the benefit of life and talking to them and listening to them and having interaction with them. 
well, you know, 61 years from now, that won't happen. I'll be, I'll be done. And, uh, I got to leave something behind. That's my legacy. You know, I want to, I want to help leaders even in death. I want to help leaders. The, um, you know, one of the other great things that I've heard is in, uh, Jim Collins's book, From Good to Great, he talks about um, um, who's the guy that he writes about in another book. Um, he's at Claremont College, and there it's a hundredth anniversary of who wrote the first modern books on on corporate management. What's that guy's name? He wrote a bunch of them. Uh, I'm not sure who he's talking about. Oh, Dale, Dale Carnegie? No. Um, yeah, hold on. But um, hold on. Jim Collins. Oh, Peter Drucker. Oh, yeah. Right. So Drucker, Collins says in the speech he gives at, at the uh, centennial of Peter Drucker's birth, uh, and they're celebrating it at Claremont College in, in out towards Riverside. He says, um, you know, think about this. At the age of 63, Peter Drucker had written a third of the books that he would written, that he yeah. would write. At the age of 63. He said, and so I, he said, I want to challenge everybody out there. You know, as you get older, your, your ability to synthesize the, the experience of life with the wisdom of life has o- only gets greater in your life. So, yeah. uh, so no, what, what you say rings true in the lives of, of great human beings. If you've ever seen a Carnegie library, they were beautiful, classic construction buildings, uh, yeah. wrought iron fences around them, uh, akin to what used to ring, uh, the white house, maybe still does. Um, but just absolutely beautiful, beautiful, um, buildings, I got on the city council of my city uh, that I lived in in North Dakota, about 100,000 people. And um, we built this big new, we, you know, planning and zoning commission brought in this big hotel that had a, a water park attached to it. And it was a big deal in the city. And what the, what the hotel did was it put up all these huge pictures of the city throughout the city's history in, in, in the hallways and things like that. So I walked out there to see it when it opened. And I see a picture of a Northwest airliner uh, aircraft in the 50s flying over the city. And from the shot from the air, and it's got the, the, the plane in it, but it also has a city in it, you can see a building downtown. And I asked the current president of city council, I'm like, what is that building? And he just looks at me mortified. He said, that was the Carnegie Library. And we tore it down and put up a parking lot there. Exactly. I said, what? And he said, Mike, don't even, it'll make me cry. He said, he said, and it was, it was, you know, instead of renovating it, doing the appropriate repairs and building it out and things like that, that we should have done, we tore it down. But no, Carnegie's great gift to the, to the, uh, to, to to the nation. And and you're right across the nation. And they're still all over the place. They're still all all over the place. Well, I I was aware of the fact that he had written the bulk of his books after the age of 60. That actually inspired me several years ago to to capture my thoughts. The combination of that, you know, uh, Carnegie's quote really inspired me. What Drucker did 
really motivated me, showed it showed that it could be done and that it was never too late to to capture you know, knowledge and all of that. And, uh, you know, on the same along the same lines, the same issue, Mac, Carnegie uh, has often been quoted as saying that when he was just a young guy, I think he was working as a clerk somewhere, just starting out. That whatever town he was in, there was they called him Colonel. So he, I don't know whether he was, you know, back then, you know, you could kind of buy the title or just, you know, if you had served, you get appointed a Colonel. But there was a Colonel in that town or village that had an extensive library, and he used to open up his home and his library on Sundays for anyone that wanted to come in. And Carnegie would go there quite often. And never forgot that 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 act of charity and kindness, and that's where he drew inspiration. You know, because he said those books motivated him and showed him what could be done and all that. Really gave him a much more classical education because he, he really didn't have much of one. And so um, it just goes back to show you how some act of kindness or mentorship early on can affect someone who has now the ability. Um, I'm sure the colonel didn't have the financial resources, but he opened up his humble home library, which was impressive to Carnegie. And then look what Carnegie did, you know, a few decades later. So you just never know. You never know. And I, I love, I know you say that you've got the best life possible. Um, well, I say I, I've got the best life possible. Well, you know? you're, you're uninformed. So. You're uninformed, but I won't hold that against you. The, um, <laughs> you're 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 just you're another victim of the public school system. Had you gone to Catholic schools <laughs> like I did, you'd be uh, you'd be a different human being. So well, I, I I accept I, your ignorance. Before you go too far, now I I did go to Catholic school before um, you got expelled, but it was decided that. Um, I did. They didn't really want my name on the graduation rolls. Thank convinced you. that I was, I was termed incorrigible. And uh, about six weeks before eighth grade graduation, uh, I was, uh, I was dismissed. Um, <laughs> let's just say, I, in Marine Corps parlance, I was not augmented. They, you know, I think they called that expelled, Mike, back in the day. Well, I'm sure I, they wouldn't you know, say that now because it might hurt somebody's feelings, but. When, when, I mean, when we were kids, they used terms like flunked, right? Expelled. Because you know what? And, and this is why I find so, and, and I want to talk about leadership now, but I mean, we were held accountable for our shit. It was, I mean, go home and sell that it was the teacher's fault or, or the coach is stupid and see how that far that would have got you, right? Your father would have put the paper down and looked and said, what'd you just say? Yeah, that, that would have, that would have not flown. And you're exactly right. <laughs> I uh, I didn't mesh well with the Catholic school. They were very, you know, the nuns were, I mean, they, Mac, they were doing general court martial level stuff to us, you know, hazing, maltreatment, beatings. I mean, you know, I don't know what they were thinking, but as far as the level of education, I mean, I, I remember, you know, you turned in your assignments starting at the first grade. So let's say there was science homework or history homework. You turned it in and not only were your answers graded for the correctness of the, your answer but you got graded for penmanship and spelling and grammar i mean so you could get all the answers right and still flunk your homework because it, it looked crappy there were smudges on it and your 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 you know your cursive handwriting was terrible or not up to snuff 
you know? And I, I think being graded like that, um, considered harsh by today's standards, I don't even think they teach cursive anymore. No, they just say they it's too hard and yeah. it's archaic, but I got to tell you, so forget cursive, but just being graded on, on a couple of different things, a few different criteria, I, I did nothing but help me and millions of other kids. I think I, I wouldn't, wouldn't have changed it for the world. You know, I, I, um, I uh, I, well, I came in the Marine Corps. Marine Corps didn't teach me anything. I mean, they taught me different a different language skill set. But in terms of self discipline, I I knew I knew that. I mean, I went to all boys Catholic high school, the Christian brothers, and in, in which I mean, the boxing gloves hung in the gym, and if you got out of line with the teacher, you know, you'd go down to the gym with the teacher, and he'd tell you put on the boxing gloves, and you'd get your ass kicked. And, and, and let me tell you, there was nothing better for a punk 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kid who's, at, who's totally out of line to get put in their place. It's a good thing. And it, and, and it served us well. And so I joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> they didn't teach me anything. And, and to never quit, you know. Uh, and, I mean, th- that was just my life. My mother, God bless her, Corporal C- Punishment Kathleen, the same rules that were in my house existed at school. There was no arbitrage. It yeah. was, there's an institutional expectation that the, the way you're going to treat people and conduct yourself as a member of this family and at school, and there's, uh, we expect you to achieve academically. And those were the same. So my life was simple. I was in this, I was boxed in. And so I, it was, and again, I look back, I wasn't, I could have given a shit about school. I could have been a really good student, but I didn't give a shit. I, the, 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 the courses that I enjoyed, history, PE, I excelled at. Everything else, I did enough to get by and nothing more. And I, yeah, started, I started writing and then getting published uh, well, first when I was in the Marine Corps. And I remember my dad saying to me, what the hell happened to you in high school and college? Like, why didn't you do this then? I said, I wasn't interested. Yeah. He goes, that well, that's just, that's just great. I spent all that money and you weren't interested. I'm like, sorry about yeah. it. Sorry about it. Well, I, it just goes to show your example of never, it's never too late. I actually finished, I had a class of like 230 kids and I finished 26 from the bottom um, academically. I could give a shit. In fact, they pulled me, you know, in our day, remember there was college prep and general <laughs> education. Right. And if you didn't take the college prep curriculum, you weren't going to college. Right. You had to have algebra, trig, chemistry, biology. Right. And, and I just – I couldn't do the math. I, I just suck at math unless it's got a dollar sign in front of it. I'm not that good at it, you know. <laughs> um, but – and I remember the day they took me out of college prep. I think I was a f- sophomore maybe. My mom cried because she knew – He's never going to college, you know, and she had high hopes for me. So, you know, I, and I, I've got a hold of my high school transcripts, Mac, and I got to tell you, they're appalling. I mean, I, I was pretty much a D student. And I, to your point, I, I always scored very, very high on aptitude and IQ tests and all of that, but I, I just wasn't interested. I was always reading. I just wasn't reading my class material. If I was interested in a class, like I liked history. And I liked certain other things. I, I would apply myself. If not, I knew what it took to pass 
And that's all I did. And it wasn't until I later became a Marine and realized how important education was to realize, okay, you got to, you got to get into this. But I got to tell you, I mean, you know, there were, there were no teachers uh, back in grade school and high school that would have pointed at me if someone said, which one of your students is going to publish a book someday? Um, I, I, they wouldn't have, I wouldn't have pointed at myself either in fairness, you know, Uh, know, uh, but you know, Mike, it's, what's interesting to me is, um, and, and I was similar. I mean, I did enough to get by and I mean, I have, you know, a bunch of my report cards and, you know, student achieving below apparent capability is, is a universal comment on my report cards. And I remember my dad was gone a lot and he and he and he hardly ever went to report card night i remember he went once when i was in high school and he comes home and he looks and he and he points at student achieving below apparent capability and he says what is that and i looked at him and said i think they're overestimating my capability and he just looked at me and said i'll knock your ass out if you say that shit to me again i said i'm sorry and, um, but I mean, it's true about, you know, being animated and, and, and interested. And, and I like you, I graduated from high school with a two, seven, six GPA. Right. And I, and then I score like over 1100 on the SAT and they look at me like you, you're, you're just a jackass, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yeah. Well, I don't think I am. Am I? And um, so, so funny stuff. I want to talk about leadership. I want to segue into leadership. Uh, interesting times we live in, Mike. Um, yes. Very. You know, the, the, the tectonic plates of our culture are being shaken by this woke um, uh, movement in American culture today. And you see it rumbling through the Department of Defense. You see it rumbling through business and whatnot. Um, and, and I would tell you much of it based on, on, on a false pretense, uh, on, a, on a false premise that, you know, you live in this racist nation. And, uh, you know, I, I, I scoff at that, you know. And uh, I know there's people that are absolutely convinced of it, but I know better. And, uh, and so I, I'm, I'm curious um, as this phenomenon gets becomes more prevalent in our, in our culture becomes more, you know, I would imagine corporate leaders are confronted with this on a daily basis, this woke society, this woke standard, this intolerance for, for mistakes you made when you were young. Um, what advice do you give to leaders that, you know, have to, have to, have to tiptoe through this, this leadership minefield that is, the current landscape of the nation. Yeah, that's a, uh, whew, that's a, that's a volatile question. Um, and I, and I don't mind answering. So this is just Mikey Tor's take on, in no particular order. Um, clearly Mac, um, in the history of our country, um, there has been some horrendous examples of of racism and and bias and prejudice and just you know to the criminal level to the in, inhumane level i don't think anybody in their right mind uh 
can or would ever deny that. And while I can't make the descendants of, of slaves in this case, the Africans that were, you know, uh, sold into slavery here, while I, I can't say anything to comfort them for what their ancestors had to go through, uh, it was it was terrible for sure. Looking, taking a, a you know fifty thousand foot view, I'm glad that their ancestors hung as tough as they could, and I'm glad that today's the descendants of those slaves are now free men and women in this country, which I believe is the greatest nation ever to grace this globe, and I believe if I don't know of another country where you have the freedom to pursue happiness and the ability to climb from whatever level you were born at or, or, you know, or put at, you know, by, by relatives or society where there is a will, there's a way in America. And it does me right uh, to see people from disadvantaged histories rise to the top levels of their professions. And, you know, for example, I, I was not uh, a supporter of President Obama politically. I did not agree with much of his political um, agenda. And I didn't vote for him. Uh, twice I did not vote for him. But I remember the first time when he won election night, I was like, okay. Um, I had a conversation. Well, let me back up. So election night, I said, okay, I don't, I don't know who this guy is. He, you know, he, he sounds like a very smooth-talking politician. I can already tell by listening to some of his campaign speeches, he's promising stuff that I don't think he can deliver. And then some stuff I think he's going to try to deliver. He just – it won't work, you know. But let me see. But I said at the end of the day, though, uh, Mike Etor, you are glad if, if there's anything positive out of this, it has shown America and the rest of the world that in this country we do have fair elections and that a black man can, in fact, be elected to be the president of the United States, because prior to that. You know, there was all sorts of newspaper articles and people said, well, no matter what, they'll never allow it to happen, never allow it to happen. And it happened. It happened twice. And after he was elected the first time, I had a high school friend that remarked, black, uh, one of the one of the few uh, African-Americans in, in my high school. We only had a handful of black students. So they were they were truly the minority in our school and to the best of my knowledge they were very very treated well i mean i was not raised to be racist i never heard anybody talk any crap about him or whatever and and he told me that and and, and this guy's an educated man done well attorney uh and said that um he never believed that he would see a black man sitting in the white house in his lifetime and I told him, geez, I mean, why would you think that? I had no doubt that it would happen. And that was very enlightening to me, Mac, because he grew up 
as a black kid and a black man. He 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 had been stopped. He told me, you know, guilty of. Uh, Walking while black, driving while black, he had faced that stuff uh, in his uh, in his life, and from his perspective, the the country, the institutions, the good old boy network was so slanted that it was and so powerful that they would just never let a black man become the president, no matter how qualified. He honestly was stunned. In fact, he was so stunned he took off from work and went to Obama's first inauguration. And that was instructive to me because I grew up really believing in the American dream. And I, I have no doubt that we were going to have a black president. I have no doubt we're going to have a woman president. I, I have no doubt about any of that and never have had any doubt. And yet, well, you know, as he, evidence, Mike, you know, we just had, you know, uh, a black female woman right, run for the position of vice president, and it wasn't even an issue, right? Right. It wasn't even an issue in the election. I mean, so, right. again, to this notion of that America's a racist nation, uh, and again, Mike and I were alive on this planet when, when the N-word, right, was a noun, okay? Yes. It wasn't a slur. It was, it was a commonly used noun in conversation. Yes. Right? And, and, and we were, you know, so when, when somebody tells you this and you say, wait a minute, okay, the Marine Corps senior staff and COs are 40% black and Hispanic. They don't come in at that rate. The Marine Corps makes sure that it goes out of its way, right, to, so, to promote and looks to promote quality minority applicants. Yeah. Right? And, and, and again, I, I don't think the Marine Corps tells its own story relative to this, and, and I'm critical of them for this. And, and yeah. one, of the, one of the stories is this, in, in terms of officer numbers and general officer numbers. Do you know what the competitive, competitive space is like for high-end, right, academic and physically fit young minority candidates? Do you know how competitive that space is? Yeah. They have every opportunity that the world can offer. Why would they choose the Marine Corps? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and so and so and, and they don't, right? They do in small numbers, and the Marine Corps tries to grow that, but it's it's not an easy proposition because that group. I don't care. You you want to talk about Ivy League universities, Ivy League a- athletics? You want to talk about you know if if you have the athletic ability, you can go anywhere you want to if you're gifted like that. Yeah. You know, and so. So again, we that's why, you know, when you when you have this begin to have this conversation that is so dominant today that everything's about race, you know, I you know, to me I struggle with it because you know, you and I grew up in a in a in, a, yeah. in an era that was not the same, you know, that it is today racially. The fastest growing category in the census is mixed race families. We elected a black yeah. man twice to be president of the United States. And so but when you look at the you know current events and you look at you know the 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 reality of the way the new york times writes washington post writes they write that this is this is a fact that you live in a racist nation and i can i can only imagine yeah. you the conversations as a ceo you know um as we sit and talk about culture climate and acceptance you know in 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 this diverse company that we have 
Uh, how do you navigate that? What is there? Is, is there any yeah. key skill sets to that? Well, yes, and bring me back to that in a minute. I do want to. I uh, want to reinforce some of your comments and with mine, my okay. opinion. Uh, clearly, we've we've already acknowledged. I've acknowledged that there there's been terrible injustice and racism in America's history. Right. I, I I Mike Etor does not believe that the entire country and its institutions are racist. I do think that there are some hidden biases that still exist that need to be tightened up and things like that. But I think this country's come a long way. And I'm not sure there's another country that's that's done as well as us. And, and as an well, analogy... We, well, we, compare, Mike, we know because we've been around the world and seen it, right? Exactly. Right, you, exactly. you stand in front of an audience and say, hey, let me give you a message. If you're a woman in here, it's probably in about 50% of the country... In 50% of the world, you wouldn't be even in this room. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right? You're, the you're, ceiling you're, is you're so exactly. high for you. And if anybody tells you in this country you can't be what you want to be, you tell them to stick it up their ass because that's not yes. true. That's not true. And so I, so I don't know. For me, I get frustrated because the idea of institutional racism, you and I, we don't give a shit what color anybody is. What race you are, I don't – what gender. If you could do the work, show right. up for work and let's go because we need good I, people. I, I, I completely agree. And, and, and again, um, if, if you're a minority and you've been ex- subjected to racism and uh, things like that, I mean it's pretty hard to listen to me and you talk and agree with us because you know your experience may have been totally different. And I, I acknowledge that. I think it takes a open-minded and reasonable person to back up and realize, okay, I, I, I grew up in Mississippi in the 1960s, and it was hell. Right. And, and now I'm here in the, in the 2000s, and I could not never have dreamed of, of the, you know, the environment that, that lives today. Right. A, a bit of comparison, you know, the military has come under fire quite a bit lately. And to read the New York Times and and the liberal media, you would believe if you're uninitiated, Mac, um, if you're uninitiated, you would be led to believe that the military is full of racists and KKK members and and militiamen that want to overthrow the country. And as you know, and anyone in the military knows, nothing could be further from the truth. Have we always had kooks in the military? Absolutely. Did we allow the military to be sullied by the presence of those those minute fractions of fringe lunatics? No. And as far as the woke culture goes... Well, I want to ask you about that because you served in that post-Vietnam era. Oh, yeah. Marine Corps. Yes. You joined yes. out of high school and... And, and Mike, yes. you served in that. And, Absolutely. And, 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 and this is another qu- leadership question I have for you, and, and we'll migrate to this. I don't see a lot of pushbacks from a lot of general officers, right? And, and Mike, and, and so this is a bad theme that, that to me, threads yeah. its way through Afghanistan, threads, threads its way through Iraq, in that they won't push back. Why? Yeah. Because it jeopardizes your career? Why won't you say because, you know, and, and I liken it to the Marines United thing, right? There's Neller sitting there in front of the Senate Armed Service Committee getting hammered, taking his face shots like he's supposed to do. And, and Senator Kristen Gillibrand says to him, you know, General Neller, in fact, isn't this one of the worst days ever in Marine Corps history? 
And he didn't push back. Yeah. He didn't say, and again, she doesn't vote for shit for the Marine Corps. So if there's somebody that he could expend rounds on, it would have been her. Right? But he didn't say the truth, which was, well, Senator, in my time in the Marine Corps, uh, October 23rd, 1983, pretty bad day. And, Mike, that's in your personal you know, portfolio. Yeah. Right, we uh, there's a there's incidents in Vietnam, there's a lagoon at Tarawa, there's a landing on Iwo Jima, the fight on Okinawa. I can think of a whole series of days. Are we proud of this days? No, just like we weren't proud of, of the day that Time Magazine put a Marine with a black eye on its cover because oh. of Clayton Lone Tree. Yeah. But all I ask is the opportunity to fix this. We will fix this because you know your Marine Corps. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. He doesn't do that. And then it turns out that less than 100 Marines are implicated throughout. And I can't remember less than 20 are, are court-martialed. And that's how, of, of a force of 185,000 Marines. That's yeah. the number we're talking about. But, Mike, there's no pushback on the narrative. Yeah, I agree. So relative to the the leadership of the Marine Corps, and I'm included the senior enlisted leaders in this uh, using a male analogy. I, uh, I sit here wondering where they left their balls, Mac. Um, I know a good number of general officers. I'm not close to them anymore. I, I do them a favor and, and really don't associate with most of them, but I, I know these guys, and these were stellar Marines. And if I would have told them, hey, you know what, 25, 30 years from now, you're going to sit on your hands when someone is assailing the Marine Corps with with absolutely patently false accusations. And you're and for some reason, you're not going to defend the our beloved institution. They would have they would have challenged me to a fight. Right. Yet they're doing it. And I think they're taking the cowardly way out of, well, you know, we don't want to damage the funding for the next variant of the Osprey and blah, blah, blah. And I think they've I think they've lost their balls um, to your point. Um, I don't see the Marine Corps pushing back at all against these articles with the, the New York Times and others have written with facts, documented facts. Because you and I both know the dirty little secret, and some of the civilians listen to this, and maybe even some of the military folks that didn't reach certain levels, Mac, they don't know what I'm about to say, that um, before an officer promotion board, the selection results ever get to the Senate for confirmation, those numbers, those statistics are scrubbed by the Marine Corps and the Marine Corps legal team itself, because they know... If there are not, and if the numbers aren't right, if there aren't certain percentages of minorities and females and other minority groups, whatever they may be, there's no sense forwarding it to the Senate because the Senate is not going to approve it. So, what I am saying is the dirty secret that all the general officers will deny, and and I think it's a pox on them. Because anyone that's ever sat at a high-level board uh, knows that it's a fact. Um, we need we need minority majors and lieutenant colonels and generals and sergeants major and all of that. And for anyone to say, "Oh no, that's not even a factor. We don't select based on that." That is a lie. Anyone who's ever sat on a promotion right. board knows that it's a lie. And I think. People have gotten so used to telling that lie 
that it's easy to absorb other lies as well and what, not push back. You know, for- George George Costanza has a great line in a Seinfeld episode. Remember, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it. And that's and that's what we're getting to. And there's yeah. a simple remedy. If if discrimination and bias, if you want to eliminate it, then eliminate gender, race, you know, on, on your promotion boards. But the reason we can't do that is we don't know where that goes. If, yeah. it's, if it's faceless, if it's only about the merits and the standards, then, right, it is what it is. But we all know that they can't allow that because if those give you things that aren't friendly to women and minorities, then you're going you're gonna to cross paths with the Senate. I mean, yeah. yeah, with the Senate when you try to get that shit approved. And so yeah. you watch them do this dance, and you just watch it, and you're like, are you kidding me? Yeah, it's really terrible. And now, now I want to make sure that people understand where I'm coming from here. So we're talking about affirmative action and quotas. And, and Mike Etor is telling you, folks that don't believe that that exists in the military, wake up. It absolutely exists. And I support it. I absolutely understand why we – the bottom line is we need to have a force and a, and a leadership team within that force that represents America and the cross-section of, of troops that are under their command. We just – we need to have that. And so we Now, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because I can hear Will Costantini screaming at me. Why? If our business is to win the next war – why don't we eliminate all the things that create bias in terms of gender, race, and have the highest quality force that can make sure that we win against the Chinese? Yeah, I agree, I agree with that. I and my uh, my I don't know Will well at all, but I I'm, I'm with him on that one. I I would say that if you went back uh, to the history of the Roman Empire, uh, you probably have some of the Roman generals saying the same thing, like why. Why do we have to do this? Why, why, why don't we just go kick some ass? Why don't you let us go? But the emperor or Caesar or whomever was in charge at the time was inflicting political uh, uh, implications or political considerations into his decision-making relative to the military. So I don't know. It's been a long time. I don't know if we've ever truly had – a pure military and a pure Marine Corps where, where there were no political, I mean, you can go back and read, <clears throat> you know, Smedley Butler, <clears throat> excuse me, Smedley Butler, one, one of a few Marines, I think one of two Marines that received two medals of honor. So I don't know if you know this story, Mac. He, he got his first one, I believe for Veracruz. And when he found that his father was a very influential Senator, very influential Senator, Uh, and knew the Secretary of the Navy well. And when Smedley found out that he was receiving the Medal of Honor, he got so pissed off, he refused it. He said, I'm not doing it. And they said, oh, no, you're going to do it. He goes, I'm telling you, I don't deserve it. This is bullshit. You're trying to give me this award. Because remember, back then, there was only the Medal of Honor and the Navy Cross. There wasn't Silver Stars and Bronze Stars and Navy Comms with Vs back then. And he said, this is bullshit. This is someone trying to curry favor with my father because who my father is and all of that. And it went back and forth to the point where the commandant of the Marine Corps had to basically issue an edict that came down the chain of command and said, Butler, 
if you receive this award, you will accept it and you will wear it. And he still pushed back. So you know what they did, Mac, to appease him? They awarded the Medal of Honor to several other officers that were there that day. So you've got a living legend that received two Medals of Honor, and he tried to refuse the first one. Wow. He said, this is bullshit. I did nothing to, re- to deserve the Medal of Honor. You've got to be kidding me. So my point is, there's, a, there's an instance of rank politics in the military. Roll forward maybe 30 years, and I don't know if you know this one, but if you've ever seen a picture post-World War II of President Lyndon Baines Johnson, you will almost never see him without the silver star lapel pin in his lapel, his his suit or sport, sport coat lapel. Johnson was a senator and resigned from the Senate to enter the army. And they made him like a, I don't know, a public affairs guy or whatever. He went for a ride on a bomber, like a couple hour, one, one mission. And he went as an observer and supposedly they took fire or something. And he did nothing but sit in the plane. And MacArthur ordered that a silver star would be written for Johnson because he knew Johnson was an influential guy and was going to be a player and could have a great could be of great benefit to the army come budgeting and other issues post war and he was right it was a savvy political move an unethical move by MacArthur but it worked and Johnson I mean the citation is so cheesy it would I, I would not I would not wear an award of that caliber I, I it's disgusting to read but Johnson always wore the silver star. He always wore it after that. So there's politics. So to Will, I would say, I hear you. I, my, with the depth of my soul, I wish we could do that. It's just not the country that we've, we're living in. It's just, it's unfortunately, it's just, I, I, and I will tell you, I have more corporate experience than many of the guests on your shows and I can tell you that the political influence is even worse in the business world. Well, you even know, Mike, worse. let me ask you a question about that because one of the things I've noticed is that, you know, Amazon's board, completely not even close to what the nation looks like demographically. Yeah. Right? Um, Apple, same, same. And here are, are some of the people that lecture us yeah. about the, what we should be, and their boards are nowhere reflective of what we are demographically as a nation why why so uh, isn't, why so glaring isn't, isn't that something and i yes. gotta tell you so there's a few things you're touching on some great topics thank you let me let me circle back and start with one of them well let me you tell know, you i pre somebody with your kind of testosterone level i can't tell you how much that makes me happy that you said that well mac i know you've always reached out to me as a, a role model and you know and, and all of that and and maybe even a father figure at this point but uh, you know i'm happy to serve not not I, because you're only you're older than me i don't that doesn't <laughs> okay. it's just the, the wisdom and perhaps the threat of an ass kicking like your dad used to you know issue to you i mean you know i'm happy to deliver i mean you know i can i can still do it if necessary you know or at least give it a shot you know so if you hear somebody coming from behind it's me because i don't do frontal assaults anymore you know there you go i'm with you i understand but you know one thing i've never uh understood in the business world was the unequal pay for men and women issue um i i i never did it i don't understand why you would do it i i 
I feel for the women that find themselves in that position. And I don't, I challenge any, anyone listening to this in a leadership role that if they're, they're in a position where they have employees, they, they need to take a look at this because if you have Frank and Sally who have the same experience and competence doing the same job, why, why aren't they getting paid the same? Well, who's, and, who's, who's the manager that says, okay, Sally, you know, we're going to offer her the position and let's see, Frank makes one hundred and seventy thousand. We'll offer yeah. Sally one hundred and twenty. Yes, that's who, exactly who, what happens. My, who and, the fuck and does I, that? Yeah, and you know, and and so that's a long term thing because well, we know she's just going to get married, and she's probably she's married anyway, so she doesn't need. She's not the sole breadwinner, and so with her money and her husband's money, they're doing great. Frank, however, his wife doesn't work. Now it's flawed thinking. But I'm telling you, this is something as it's easy to fix. I mean, my company, when I worked at my company, uh, the company I worked with, they routinely scrubbed their payroll uh, documents to make sure that they were they were not doing this even unknowingly because there was no intentional bias whatsoever. Uh, but it can creep in there. And so, you know, so and to your point about hypocrisy, some of the some of the senators and congressmen and congresswomen and, and female senators that bitch about this the most, Hillary Clinton, when she was running for president, it was discovered that in, in, in aggregate, female staffers on her staff, her campaign staff, were paid lower than men doing the same job. I don't get it. You just got to be vigilant. You just have to be. It's no different than the Marine Corps looking at promotion boards and, and awards giving during Iraq and Afghanistan and, and making sure that it's not all white guys from certain schools or commissioning sources getting the, the awards, the medals. Because as we all know, that's happened in the past too. So you have to be, it's the S and BAMSIS. It's supervision. Well, you, you know, but Mike, in, in my opinion, they're the worst offenders of uh, of all of this, and so you and, and and they're the great lecturers, right? Yes. And the worst offenders, Apple, A- right? Are, are you kidding me? Amazon, and you guys could hire anybody. You you know the money you have, the resources you have, you can make your company, and you can hire high high caliber people, you know, yeah. because of the resources you have. And then, I, I have a theory, Mac. Yeah, well, I think you're I think you're exactly right. I, I come from the corporate world. I was a high level executive in a publicly traded company. And so the criteria for my company was no different than Apple. I mean, my, my company was so much small. My, my company was a billion and a half revenue, which is a rounding error for for Apple's, you know, <laughs> trash budget, you know, waste removal budget. However, it's just not that hard. And I, I agree. What is so hard about it? These people lecture us, yet you look at their boards, you look at their executive teams, and they don't reflect the same standards that they're preaching to others that we must follow. And my theory is, is that the media will not call them on it because these tech companies and other large companies have become very, very powerful and they can make life – hell, they can just buy the newspaper. 
right. you know i mean bezos bought yeah. bought the wall street journal right. and no and, washington, and, and, washington post and, and washington post and in the corporate sense um you know you you start bitching at some of your competitors or some of these landmark companies like amazon and and other companies and facebook and they'll They'll bury you social media wise. I mean, they'll they'll put an onslaught and you'll be made to look like like just a terrible group of people. And the military, I do think and, and, and this is going to piss some of the people off in the military high ranking. I do believe that probably for the last 20 years or so, we entered an era post Clinton where senior military officers, generals now colonels and generals, but especially generals, you know, in the past, they used to just go away with their big pensions and go on a couple boards. And you really never heard much of general officers in the past. Post Clinton, they started running for office. They started being healthier and they realized, hey, I got another 30 years to go, you know. And so I believe that many of them started couching their words and their decisions while they were in uniform to not disqualify them from certain positions on boards and and roles you know and within companies and things like that see I, I, that's my theory but i have uh, and, and will has expressed he said look he said my experience he says i don't think they start thinking about that till later and i said i i disagree i think they uh-huh. know i think they know their brand and that's yeah. why they don't say shit if they have a mouthful of it because they don't want to damage their opportunity to make right. literally millions of dollars in in, yes. in their in their post military career. That that's and, exactly right. And if one other are, data point I throw out to you is I go back to H.R. McMaster's book, Dereliction of Duties, and you look at the the Joint Chiefs don't say shit. Yep. During Vietnam. Yeah. And so but and so this this disease plagues us. That yes. all of a sudden you, you 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 lose your intestinal forage, you lose your balls, you become cra- cast castrated as a leader. The rest of yes. us know the truth. You simply won't say anything about it. Yes, and and you know what? I'm making some bold statements here you today, are. Mac, and 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 here's one of them. You know, there's uh, I don't know all the Marine Corps general officers, but I know a bunch of them, and they know me. And I I you know I did not retire as a general officer. I don't think I was going to be a general officer. I think it was a good Marine. That's all I wanted to be was a good Marine. However, these guys that know me and they're wearing stars, they know me. And they do care. They may not admit it, but they care what I think about them. And what I think about them is that I'm very disappointed that they have sat on their hands and aided and abetted the dilution and the diminishment of the institution. I've, I'm not aware of one that's raised his or her hand and said, I honestly believe this is bad for the institution. I cannot support this in good faith. And therefore, I am going to leave the institution. It's not that hard to do, Mac, because that's what I did. That's why I retired. I saw some things being done. I saw some changes coming. I had the promise of a good career ahead of me. And I'm like, nope, because I'm going to be a retired guy a lot longer than I'm going to be a Marine. And I need to be able to look at myself in the mirror someday, each day for the rest of my life and know 
that I kissed no ass, I swallowed no bullshit, and I didn't support things that I knew were bad for America, bad for the institution, and worst of all, bad for the kid fighting at bayonet length with the enemy. I just wouldn't do it. And anyone that knows me, I mean, I'm not virtue signaling here. Anybody that knows me knows what these issues were. I just couldn't support them. But a lot of people found a reason to stay. Well, we got to stay and fight the big fights. Well, I got to tell you, there's been some big fights over the last 20 years, Mac. And I'm not seeing anyone fight the big fights. I'm not seeing anyone fight. In fact, I don't blame the civilians for inflicting this on the military to their defense, what are they hearing from our senior military leaders? Oh, yes. Yes, sir, Mr. Senator. We can do. Oh, it's, it's it's working out just fine. This was a great idea. We should have done this 30 years ago. And so I, I, I can't blame the civilians for being civilians. They don't know what the hell they're doing. Well, Mike, Kirsten, let, me, let me give you let me give you two examples and, 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 and give me your thoughts on that. On both these. Um, a few years ago, General Furness says. You know, makes his comments about discipline. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew it was true. Only one other general officer that I know of, and that he was Dale Alford, said anything about it in public. Nobody else said anything, and they all knew it was true. Yeah. I, I mean, and they told that to me in, in private. But so why won't you say? And so here's Furness just getting, you know, and then, but. The masses were indignant that he, they would say, that he would say, that they were undisciplined. But everybody knows it's true. We're playing the emperor's new clothes. Now, here in the last month, you had, what, two weeks ago? You had an official Marine Corps Twitter account attack an American journalist. Yeah. Right? And you haven't, heard, you haven't heard anything from anybody about the incident. That's and pathetic. The, and I don't know what – and and so – you know, to me, I said, I just, I don't believe that they're, we're going to get the nothing to see here. We'll take care of it in-house, and we won't make a statement. Well, guess what? It was a dominant story in, in, in more than one news cycle in the country. And, and yet not a word out of the Marine Corps. Like, this is not what we do. We will fix this shortly. We'll make sure that we understand we're here to serve the nation. And and to for every Marine that has said, right, he's never put on the uniform. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I want to specifically apologize. The civilians in this country have every right to be critical of us, and we have a responsibility to take their their serious criti- their their criticism seriously. Yeah. And we don't care wh- how much experience you have. Period. But Mike, you you've heard none of that in either yeah, in either, I, in either I instance. To, to, and I don't know if you've seen this. I think you have, but I want to make sure that <clears throat> we come across right and fair. Um, <clears throat> I did see, a, I think I saw a statement from Tumef. Was that where it was from? Uh, and I did see, I think, something from the commandant's office, maybe the PAO saying, hey, we goofed. It's not what we do. You know, it won't happen again. No, you're wrong. Am I? Yep. That came from the same Twitter account. There's been no official statement that I've seen, and I and, and I watch from either the commandant or uh, or from Tuma. 
Yeah, well, if, assuming what you're saying is correct, and I believe you, Mac, that's a uh, that's another indicator of uh, of you know uh, what I call the the gonadial dissonance. You know what I mean? They lost their balls. <laughs> I have no respect for that. I just I can't Wait a minute. I, say I that again. Tolerate Go, that gonadial you know? dissonance. Gonadial dissonance. You know, that's a, <laughs> I'm going to copyright that, so don't use it. You know, <laughs> unless you're prepared to pay. Um, you know, I was just reading a history book yesterday. I wish I would have glommed onto this, but there was a Roman emperor late in the decline of the Roman Empire that actually the soldiers and the legions were complaining that their helmets and breastplates, you know, their armor they wore was too heavy. And he actually allowed them to shit can it. Oh, so that's that's at the decline of the Roman Empire, the mighty Roman. Could you imagine the Roman legion saying our helmets are heavy? It's so hot. Why do we have to wear this armor? Like, oh, OK. Imagine the decline. Well, now fast forward and you've got you've got senior leaders enlisted and generals and colonels and all of that listening to the belly aches of the troops. The troops always belly ache. They, I belly ached when I was a lance corporal. Everybody belly aches and all of that. So my only defense for some of our serving leaders in today militaries is I think they're the frog in the boiling water. You know, they've been in it so long. They, they really don't know from the outside looking in. I'm like, fellas, what the hell are you doing? Like, are you kidding me? And so, so, all right, so let me ask you think, one more question. Let me ask one more question. Um, an organization like which we're discussing, can it defeat the Chinese? Given what we just saw in Iraq and Afghanistan, failed policies, failure to speak the truth, right? Can it confront yeah. and defeat the Chinese? Or should we be should we be intellectually preparing ourselves for our own second island chain, which would be Alaska, Hawaii, Guam? And that's yeah. where we will wind up because they will they will we will not be able we don't have the leadership ability. We don't have for the forthrightness. We don't have the gonads to tell the truth, to make the corrections, to get the Navy right. We, don't, we just don't have that anymore culturally. Yeah. What, Here's what, my thought. Here's my, my uninformed opinion. I love Marines, and I think that today's Marines can fight as, as brutally effective as the guys on Iwo Jima, Hui City. Fallujah, whatever your standard is for the right. toughest of tough fights, I think these youngsters can do it. Right. I know they can if led well. However, there's an article going around. You may have seen it last couple of days. There's been an article going around saying, hey, have the officers post 9-11, you know, if you were an officer starting in 95 or so and now post 9-11, do you really believe that that victory is a requirement for going to war because you really haven't seen it in the U.S. military for for quite a long time. You know what I mean? Aside from Desert Storm, we we don't really have a history of going in, kicking ass unmercifully, and 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 when you leave the gym, so to speak, there's no doubt who won that game. You know what I mean? There's just no doubt. And so my answer to you is. Do I think we can beat the Chinese? Let me let me answer that with a statement. 
I know a general officer who believes that if we get into it, the Chinese, anytime soon, that the Air Force and the Navy are going to be brutally beaten in the early stages. And the hope is, among other senior Marine leaders, that they'd have time to get their shit together. And I postured the question, well, what about the Marine Corps? I mean, I love Marines, but do you think there's a possibility that we might get our ass kicked early on too? Because we're not ready. And there, there wasn't much of an answer to that. So I do think that it's been so long since the military was expected to go in there and savagely and ruthlessly defeat an enemy. I'm not sure that that's in the mindset of today's military planners. I mean, Mac, I, with, with all admiration, I've said this before here, with all admiration and a respect for the fighters, the men and women that are out there hooking and jabbing post 9-11 in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other locations. That said, I, I cannot abide by the adulation that some of our general officers have received over the years for what seem to be endless wars. Endless wars that worse that started off with no mission statement, no desired end state. Hey, when we do A, B, and C, we are done in Afghanistan and we're leaving. And you still see retired generals still advocating that we stay. We've got to stay longer. We've got to stay longer. And when is enough enough? So it, to me, it just it smacks of we, we can't criticize ourselves. We don't really want to say anything bad because we don't want to say, you know, we don't, we don't want to be wrong. You know, I don't want to, uh, Hey, I was there. I was the commanding general for, for two years over there. I, I, you know, yes, of course we needed to be there. Of course we've made huge progress in all of that. And we've cost this country tremendous treasure. And I'm not talking dollars, you know, I'm talking about life and limb of our, of our youngsters, which are always the ones that pay the price. So, um, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I, I, I had a conversation with somebody about a year ago, retired Marine general officer, long retired, who is wired into the defense establishment. And he told me, I, I won't go in specifics because it might be easy to track down who this guy is from someone that's listening. But he, he essentially told me that in some areas of cyber warfare, electronic warfare and other things that the Chinese were light years ahead of us that they were frighteningly light years ahead of us and that that we we were playing catch up ball to the extreme and so naturally my question is general how in the hell could that have happened that implies that someone a bunch of someone's have been asleep at the wheel for many many years and he said well that's the only conclusion that i can reach as well you know so people don't seem to realize anymore, Mac, that at the end of the day, we're still cavemen. And the Chinese are already at war with us. They just haven't reached hostility, yet, open acts of warfare for the most part. But they're definitely at war with us. And I got to tell you, if they win this war, 
um, guys like me and you and these liberals, uh, they we won't be faring too well uh, under that. It'll be something like the uh, you know the North Vietnamese going into Vietnam and killing people that were educated, the killing the media, killing people who wore glasses because that meant they were intelligent or whatever the case may be. That'll do it for part one of this interview. You'll hear part two tomorrow. And uh, I want to thank Mike Etor for doing that and having had a chance to think about overnight. Um, You can, you know, let me just tell you, when you get guys with that kind of experience that say the the things that Mike said, right? Gonadial dissonance. I mean, how classic is that? And question the institution that uh, he loves so much, that we both love so much, and and really look at the Chinese menace on the horizon, and say, "Look, man, I don't, I don't know if we can do that. Let's just suppose we we, it's it's a it's a draw in space. Let's just suppose they outnumber us regionally in terms of aircraft and ships." And that we give as good as we get. And then what happens? We cl- our ground forces close. And they throw how many how many ground force people can the Chinese throw at us? And how many would we throw at them before we say, hey, this is too much? Can we do that? You know, and I think you have you have way too many people wincing. And saying, not so sure. Which, you know, ought to scare the shit out of all of us. There goes the rules-based order from post-World War II. The United States falls back to what? Alaska, Hawaii. And, uh, you know, the Chinese own the Western Pacific and now sortie into the Eastern Pacific off the coast of the United States. Encroach into Mexico. Own Latin America. So, pretty sobering shit. Uh, Anyway, you'll hear the rest of that interview tomorrow. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. Thank you very much for listening. If I can help you help somebody else who's going through a rough period because of trauma, please do not hesitate to let me know. And all that contact information... Um, comes to me, uh, I'd be more than happy to help you. Uh, also, the second installment of the post-traumatic winning online seminar starts on April 14th. If you go to the website, you can find it, all the information about it. So go to the website, click on the post-traumatic winning tab. You'll see a bunch of you know tabs scroll down. Click on the online seminar and you'll get all the information. All you got to do is uh, shoot me an email and uh, and tell me, hey, I want to be part of that. It meets every Tuesday starting April 14th at 5.30 Pacific time for an hour and a half. And I guarantee you, you will enjoy it. So with that said, have a great day. On this Tuesday, I'm out.